Our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, is joining us. Steve Cleveland's weekly interview with DJ and PK is brought to you by Mountland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agriculture, irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Steve, uh, DJ's off. Jake Scott, who is our jazz uh, radio guy, is joining us. Uh, so, first off, good morning. Good morning. And I want to get into something that's a little bit different today with you. And I know you can speak to this because I know you've been there. Um, I saw Bobby Hurley got suspended coaching at ASU. And they played at Stanford over the weekend. And the foul discrepancy was a free throw, not fouls, but free throw discrepancy. Stanford shot 41 and the Sun Devils shot nine. And including with one second to go, they called a foul on ASU with the score tied. And the Stanford guy made all three. So they lose the game. I can recall a couple of times. I I think it might have been the Cable Car Classic. You guys were playing at at Santa Clara. I don't remember who you were playing. I don't think it was Santa Clara, but I don't remember. And the foul discrepancy was so nuts that you looked like you were going to burst. And Dave Rose did burst. He ended up getting a technical foul in that game, if I remember. But 41 to 9, if you're on the 9 end of that 41 to 9, what are you thinking as a coach? You know, I have been in those situations, and it's really frustrating uh, when it's going on. And, and, and there are times, you know, I mean, I coach enough games to know if we're not attacking the basket and we're playing soft that, you know, those things can happen sometimes, but you know what? Officials are human. And, uh, and it's, it's, I'm not saying officials have agendas or they got something out for you. You feel that way sometimes, especially and usually those things do happen on the road more than at home, but it, it, it is frustrating. And I think what you have to really concern yourself with is, is the players because they have, they're the ones that are playing. I mean, and I, and I, I have, I mean, I, I didn't get thrown out of a bunch of games or anything, and I didn't get a, a lot of technicals. But when I did get technicals, it, it, you know, it was really clear that I was upset and that I felt that we, that we were being taken advantage of. And so I do believe that coaches have to stand up for their teams, you know, and I do believe that a technical once or twice or three times or whatever is it, it, not a big deal. But you have to protect your guys. And the thing that irritates me in those kinds of situations is just be consistent. And, and that's what happens when you start watching games is you go, man, they're getting every call. Well, they're going north-south. They're always you know, they're attacking the basket. And, you know, you can make up those kind of excuses. They're more aggressive to the rim. That's why, you know, there's more fouls being called. But typically, I, in my experience, I, I would talk to the officials and I'd say, you know, just explain to me why they shot 27 free throws. We're two very good basketball teams here, and we shot three. What, what is it that we're not doing? I, I would just go up to them and, and not do it at a time where I'm screaming and yelling at them. I'm not going to get anything out of that. That's just going to make them upset. But I, I had good luck in terms of turning that thing at times, most times. You said, just watch what's going on here. Let me make you aware of it. There's three of you out there. <laughs> you know, somebody's got to see what's going on. Yeah, so, it's funny. Uh, I remember you did that one time. Uh, the referee's name was uh, Bill. Uh, I probably don't want to say his last name. But you were at the Marriott Center. And I forget, again, I forget who you were playing. But... All of a sudden, right, I think it was before the first media timeout, you had like four fouls called against you, and you stood up, 
and you said something, and he ran by, and he basically said, uh, Coach, don't worry about it. Uh, we're barely into the game. And the message I took is, this thing will even out. It's one-sided right now, but talk to me at halftime. Talk to me at the end of the game. Basically, he was saying, almost to the point of, it'll correct itself. Yeah, and, and it usually does. Good officials, they, they see the pace of the game. They, they see the kind of contact. And, you know, and, and some, you know, you're pounding it inside and pounding it inside, which, which we did a lot of. Our bigs got, you know, we had good bigs. And, and they got beat up and beat up. And sometimes bigger, stronger guys, when they get hit, don't fall down, you know. But they're, they're still altering a shot. It's still impeding their pass to the basket. So, yeah, I mean, I had, com- I had multiple conversations with guys on that. And there were times that we, we all get upset and kind of lose it. But I didn't, I didn't really feel in, in, I don't know, 37 years of coaching that I really, really got taken advantage of in a free throw line. I mean, I, you go back and watch tape usually, go, you know what? We, we, were, we were passive. We, we weren't aggressive. We, we didn't get into the lanes. And uh, so you, you change your mentality a little bit, though. But I, I, a lot, if you're talking to the official and you're having a conversation and it's not spirited, but it's just a hey, matter of fact, just, I'm just, this is what I'm seeing. Most officials will step back and go, let's take a look at that. Yeah, you know what? I will take a look at that and see what's going on because they're human too. They're seeing the game at a pretty fast pace. And, uh, you know, coaches have another set of eyes. But in, in, most time, in most games, I didn't feel like I ever really got taken advantage of through an entire game. But, but, but definitely it happened during games. And if you handle it right and don't – I mean, there are times to get technicals. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely, you got to get technicals to get people's attention, especially officials or sometimes your own players. You know, and uh, if you're always taking the path of least resistance, and we're you know our action is east-west and never north-south, and we're never creating contact, and just taking you're settling for jump shots, you're not going to get a lot of calls. And you see that happen all the time, and you still see coaches get upset about it. But a lot of it has to do with how you play the game. Coach, I want to ask you uh, about what Mark Pope's doing right now at uh, at BYU. But I'll, I I played not that you care about this, but I played high school uh, tennis and uh, we had Skyline here locally. And uh, my sophomore year, we had the three best tennis players, not me, in the state. And I don't think they lost a, a set all year. And uh, and we won the state championship. And our coach got the coach of the year. And I can't remember what exactly his quote was, but it was basically like, I don't know why you're giving me this award. All I did was tell those guys to go out there and play. It was the easiest coaching job of my entire career. <laughs> and uh, with what Pope's doing to continue to win basketball games, taping it together without your your bigs, is this should we be giving him more credit for coming up with game plans to to still get W's? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, there is credit to be given here because this team, you know, both of those bigs, uh, you know, and, and Baxter was bouncy and athletic, but Harvard is the guy that took up so much space and it just made it really difficult. Now. So, yeah, the answer to that question is yes, you do give Mark Pope credit. They've had the – and every coach has to go through this. When we all lose guys, you don't lose usually your two senior – and one's – well, I guess they're both senior bigs. Uh, and I don't know if they're coming back next year or what the circumstances are. But it has given them – this opened an opportunity. You know, once somebody's disappointment turns into an opportunity here, uh, Traore – you know, Loner is finally starting to play a little bit, but to watch Senate tonight and Gideon George and Tiki, these guys have all grown and gotten better. And, and I know George is a senior, but but at the end of the day, 
he's getting to play more. And what's happened is that this team defensively is so connected and so solid, and 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 they rebound it. And I and I think that one of the one of the good things is when you go smaller, and, and this you consider a six 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 six, you know seven six seven guys in the post, is they can they can switch almost everything, which makes it them better defensively. They are, they already have that physicality. They ha- they have that really toughness about them. And, and I think the coaching staff has brought that out in them, but a lot of them will come there, come there with it. I mean, you're talking about Barcello as a guard is a really tough kid. Lucas, really tough kid. Nell, really tough kid. Traore and, and Gideon Knight, I thought, was a, a little bit soft when he was younger. But his competitiveness and his toughness, all of those guys, Johnson, uh, it's just amazing to me – how solid and connected they've been defensively, and, and I and I attribute that to the coaching staff, but I also attribute to it's it's easier to play great defense, uh, especially when you're playing two games a night or three games in a week, that you are switch everything, you can get up into people, you know. And, and I'm watching college basketball, and a lot of it looks like the NBA. And everybody is running dribble handoffs. And everybody's running screens, slip the screen, another dribble handoff, try to turn the corner and go north-south. It's really hard for teams to go north-south against BYU because they're literally, when they're switching, it's body-to-body, hand-to-hand, and it doesn't matter. So Traore can guard a guard. Loner can guard a guard. You know, Barcello, they're guarding guards already. And, and and guys like Lucas who are six three, six four, just strong bodies. Gideon, I think George is, I think he's six six or six seven. Uh, Knight, not quite as thick, but he is athletic. They're really good defensively, really really good defensively. It's it's one of the better defensive teams that I've ever seen at BYU. And yet nobody wanted to suspect that, but a lot of it has to do with the the, the, the team and how it's connected. And how, because of their size, their athleticism, and quickness, there's not many mismatches, you know. And and Traore is strong enough, even though he's smaller size, against guys that are six ten or six eleven, he he's strong enough to get guys off the block so they don't get comfortable there as well. And and I, I really I think that well, I've watched most of the BYU games, and I I think if yes, Marcello is really special. Lucas is a really special guard. They can create and make plays. But they hang their hat on, on defending the ball. I, I really believe that. And, and just being together defensively. I think that's the strength of this team. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens here in conference play. And I, I think the conference is, is better. Some of the teams that haven't been very good for a while. I mean, I didn't expect USD to come in and give BYU a game. And they, they gave BYU a game. And, uh, they're, you know, there's four or five teams, USF, St. Mary's. They're all pretty tough, and even Santa Clara. I've watched Santa Clara play up here, and uh, they've had some good wins. So I think the league is better than it's ever been, and uh, is, is from top to bottom, it's better. And win championships, get to postseason. You know, were, you know the old adage that you know, great offense puts people in the seats, and defense wins championships. Well, I think you need both. But I think this team defensively is really special. 
Our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, joining us. I wanted to go a general question. You know, the NFL games were sensational, and you had spoken about Josh Allen being from a small town uh, in the San Joaquin Valley up by you guys, so you know his story probably pretty well. And it looked like they were going to win, and then 13 seconds to go, the kick, and then overtime. And you see his dad celebrating wildly when they score and looking like, wow, we're just 13 seconds away of going for the ASC title game. This is awesome. And then it gets snatched away. I mean, sports can be so cruel. Every single person, no matter what level, has had their heart crushed. (laughs) And I'm sure you've been in that situation. You had some NCAA tournament games, particularly that one against Syracuse at over in Denver that it looked like you had an opportunity yep. to win. I remember being in the locker room, and gosh, it couldn't have been any worse. And can you speak to how it is from a coaching perspective uh, to put everything into it and then to come up short and just how difficult it is to deal with and, and get over? Boy, you know, those are – very, very, very difficult times, especially when you know, especially when you get into meaningful times of the year, where it's in a, it's in tournament play, it, it's uh, in you know playing for championships, it's playing to get to the NCAA tournament, or maybe just even getting to the NIT, and how critical and big this game is to, for the whatever program it is to take the next step. And you know, last night I'm watching that, and I'm over at my son's. It was his birthday, and and, and I, we do have friends that. Uh, are friends with the Allens, and, and, and so there's a connection that I don't know him personally, but I especially look at the journey this kid took, you know, Fireball High School, some small high school in Central Valley, goes to Reedley Junior College, which no one's heard of, and, and you know, down by, you know, southeast of Fresno, and, uh, and then he plays at Wyoming, which, you know, they've had some good football teams, but I wouldn't say that's a real elite high-level football in terms of top 20 teams in the country. And to see this kid perform like he did, I mean, I, I'm telling you right now that my grandsons and my son, just because we've got a connection. There. And I listen, I I love Kansas City, and I love Coach Peter. I mean, I, I love their my homes. I mean, it's like I always pull for Kansas City. I found myself last night pulling for an underdog, a guy that who had just done something special. And when that happened, man, I'm telling you right. It kind of ruined my evening for about twenty or thirty minutes. It's like you know, I got—I hardly ever get engaged now that I'm not coaching in a team. My grandsons, maybe, but I just don't get engaged. Last night was one of those nights, and so I can remember you—you you talked about, you know, us playing Connecticut, UConn, and us playing Syracuse, where we had opportunities in the last minute of the game to win the game, make a free throw. And you know whatever it might have been, and those are those are they are they just make your gut ache <laughs> to be honest with you. you. You just you feel so badly because you you know and the reason you feel bad is because you've worked so hard, you've done everything to get there, and you love these kids and you want them to be successful. And uh, yeah, it's just like falling off a two-story building flat. You know, it's like oh my gosh. And, and, and you're resilient. You get through it. You work through it. Uh, but when those things happen at the end of the year, it lives with you a little bit. And eventually you just got to get out and get back on the road recruiting and get back out doing and keeping yourself busy. And eventually that really strong feeling in your gut that felt bad goes away. And, and all of a sudden you realize that, you know what, there, there's light. There's light at the end of the tunnel here. We're going to go find better guys. We're going to go get guys here. We're going to do some different things schematically. 
and you just start. That's what you do each year. You just take take one more step, try to get yourselves a little better. But it, it, it is heartbreaking. I'd be lying to you if, you if I didn't say that because it, you just get really just, and and you know what? The highs, the euphoria that comes from winning games like that, last second shots. Uh, it's it's just absolute jubilation, you know. And guys are hugging each other, and the, the chemistry of a team. And and the funny thing is, oftentimes through our losses and through our challenges, is when we make the greatest growth and develop the greatest chemistry. And and that's what pulls teams together. And I mean, and I and I consider most of the teams I I've coached. I mean, there's a few teams that I look back and we could have been more connected, but. I usually had really good relationships with the guys. Our coaches had good relationships with the guys. And so it wasn't just one guy hurting because he missed a one-on-one free throw or turned the ball over. It's everybody. And I, I saw that. I mean, last night, Mahomes, rather than celebrating, runs trying to find, you know, Allen. He went, where is he? And, he, you know, and he just embraces him, hugs him, because he knows what he feels like because he's had that same experience. That kind of respect in competition uh, fans sometimes maybe don't notice, but uh, you, you do as a coach. So, yeah, I, I felt bad for them last night. I'm, I'm, I mean, I love the Reeds, and yeah, I, I pulled for them forever. But for last night, it was the, the little kid, that, the young boy from Fireball that went to Reedley College, that went to Wyoming and finds himself on the biggest stage in sport and just shined and still didn't win. And so it's, it's not – it's not fun sometimes, but uh, it's, it'll be back. And uh, but um, like I said, I've always rooted for Kansas City, but for, for whatever reason, I kind of got emotionally attached to to this kid from the Central Valley, just knowing his story and knowing his family. If the Jazz can find the right move out there at the trade deadline, what should they be looking for? What should priority one be? I, I mean, it's, talk, it's been talked about a lot, but I mean, you know, it's like, do we need a three and D guy? Do we need a wing? Do we need another athletic wing that can defend? Uh, number one, they need a healthy team and get everybody out of health and safety protocols and get healthy. I mean, I watched the game yesterday, but they, they do need someone that can defend, but I don't think we're going to take someone that can defend at the expense that we're going to give up the ability to, to, to score as well. Uh, You guys are closer to this than I am, but I I do believe they need a presence defensively and uh, that another defender on the wing. And I I know that's been talked about, but you just do. Because Bogdanovich and Engel, those those guys have such high cues. And Bogdanovich had a great look at that last night. I mean, he had a great, great look at it. And, and And I watched their team struggle. And obviously, when you don't have Mitchell... It, it, it really hurts, and because he's a guy that is going north south all the time. I mean, Conley and Bogdanovich and Engel, uh, you know, all of them. Really, O'Neal, they struggled. You know, Clarkson's good at it, but Clarkson has kind of been in a struggle mode himself. But they've only got a couple of guys that can really go north south, get into attack, create help, and get situations. And and that being said. Utah is, is a really good offensive team, and they haven't been playing well lately. And they've had, I think, the last four games, they've lost three of them to the Lakers, the Rockets, and, and the Warriors. But that Warrior game, they're certainly in a position. And, and the other thing I think, too, is that as we evaluate teams and try to figure out what they need, um, 
that changes. <laughs> but, but for me, I think if I'm, I'm the Jazz, I'm looking for a 3 and D guy that's athletic. You know, a guy like Jay Crowder who, is, 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 he, you know, he knows his role, does what he does. He can hit open threes, but he can guard. And, and especially he can stop that kind of penetration. Um, and that, that's, that's what I look at in terms, I mean, they've had, you know, Rudy Gay's come in and, and been a great addition for him, done some nice things. But but last night it, it, it was a struggle, and Jordan Clarkson has to play better. And now listen, I, he, I you, everybody loves that kid, but he's just going through a rough patch right now, and he's just got to get his confidence back. And again, it's the same thing when you play certain teams who lock up, defend everything. They'll you know on ball screens, they'll double ball screens, they'll red or black depth ball screens. And, and not allow. They, you got to create space. Donovan Mitchell creates space. He can do that on his own without an offense. And when he can do that, and they come and help, boom, you get contested shots that aren't nearly as contested as you would if you're just passing it around the perimeter. That's one of the things for me. Is I watch the NBA, and uh, and, it's, and in college as well, everybody's running the same action, <laughs> and not everybody, but probably 75% of the teams, everything is a handoff to a ball screen, to a slip on, on the screen, to another ball screen, to another handoff. It is so perimeter, and the majority of that movement goes east-west because everybody's switching. And so it's like a wall. It's, it's like I, you know, I talk about this on the show, but I, it, it's, hard, it's hard for me to watch the Los Angeles Lakers play, even though it's a place where I grew up and I fold for them forever, because they, every shot they take – is closely contested. And, and there's a difference between closely contested shots and those where you have a foot or two and you have space and, and the defender has a hand up, but it doesn't impact your shot. And the more, the more you play where it's static and there isn't that north-south or, it, it, or spread the floor with back cuts, curl cuts, just get things spread out and have different action, that's why the Suns and that's why Golden State both. And Golden State didn't play great last night. But they do things differently than a lot of teams, and 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 the Suns especially. There's no question. I mean, you don't know where they're going to go. They're going to make a front cut, a back cut, a curl cut. But there's constant movement. It's hard to guard those types of teams. And so, the, with Donovan Mitchell, uh, Conley Conley can get into the seams, but he gets stuck. And he's a guy too that's been in the year the league for 16 years or so, whatever it is. He, he's not going to be your penetrator. He's going to be a shooter, and he can flat-out shoot it. He's got great leadership. But they've got to have guys that can break people down and get shots for other people. And, and you look at the best teams, and you're just taking a look at the Suns themselves. they they got constant movement. It's just not standing on the perimeter and handing the ball off, dribble handoff. Okay, we're going to set another ball. And I know the ball screen is a big part of it because you have a shot clock, and there's not a lot of time. But for a lot of teams, the matchups are difficult for them. And so you've got to be able to do things a little bit differently. But I do believe when Mitchell comes back and hopefully Clarkson gets back into it, they'll be okay. I still think it's a 3 and D guy. But I, I do believe – I watch a lot about the NBA, and I'm just so tired of watching guys taking tightly contested shots. I think, can you not do something – create some kind of action where we can create space 
where everything is just absolutely in your face contested. And now these guys are so good that they still make shots, but over the length of a full game, that's going to wear you down, and all of a sudden you're going to go through shooting slumps. And so, for me, it, it's fun to watch the Suns and to watch Golden State. And it's Miami does a lot of different stuff as well. I mean, you know, Cleveland plays really different, but 80% of this league plays the same, and it's whoever has. You know, the better players, the better schemes. But for the most part, you, you don't have to spend a lot of time. You spend more time on what individual strengths are and what the player's strengths are and take those things away than worrying about the action because the action is pretty much the same. They know we're going to see game in and game out. We watch the same thing in the NBA. And, and, and it's not to say the whole everyone does it, but that is the trend, and it's the trend in collegially too. So I always try to create space so that we could have shots not wide open shots. You get those once in a while. They're creating enough space where guys feel comfortable. And, and so run action away from the ball. Run action on the ball where people are back cutting and front cutting and doing different things. And I, I just, I, 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 listen, and these guys that are coaching in college and the NBA, they're brilliant people. They've got great staffs. But I think the general direction of offense in college and basketball is really familiar to everybody because that's what everybody's kind of doing coach we appreciate you joining us thanks a lot all right guys have a good week uh, that's coach steve cleveland our basketball insider we'll come back and get you up to date hit uh, some jazz uh, we haven't hit that enough yet with uh, jake scott joining us stay with us 97.5 1280 the zone